In the heart of Galicia, Spain, a picturesque land of ancient traditions and breathtaking landscapes, a chilling mystery unfolded that would send shockwaves through the nation. Asunta Young Fang Basterio Porto, a bright and seemingly innocent girl with her whole life ahead of her, met a heartbreaking fate. On one fateful night, secrets that whispered in the shadows would push investigators to uncover the truth. The following events would captivate the nation and keep investigators on the edge of their seats. Was it a tragic accident or something far more sinister? I'm Stephanie Morham, and this is Wicked Ever After. Please consider subscribing to my channel and liking this episode. I appreciate your support. Just a friendly reminder, I have Invisalign and I am struggling with the pronunciation of some words, so please bear with me throughout the video. Our story begins in Galicia, Spain, where we find married couple Alfonso Basteria and Rosario Porto. Alfonso, a native of Bilabo, was a freelance journalist and Rosario was a lawyer from Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. Rosario had followed in her father's career footsteps. Her dad was a lawyer who had been honorary consul for France in Santiago, and her mother was a university lecturer in the history of art. She came from a highly successful family. Alfonso and Rosario met in 1990 and later married in 1996. They lived in a flat gifted to them by Rosario's parents that occupied the entire floor in what some call Santiago's VIP zone. It earned its name because it was home to a large portion of the city's upper middle class. A year later, in 1997, Rosario inherited her father's role as honorary consul and continued moving up the career ladder. A few years into their marriage, Rosario and Alfonso were ready to pursue adopting a child. It's unclear if they were having trouble conceiving or if because of two busy careers, they wanted to avoid pregnancy and childbirth, but whatever the reason, they felt adoption was best. The first step was persuading local Spanish authorities that they would make good parents and that their child would be surrounded by a loving extended family. Given their successful careers and family status, they had no problem getting that approval. In Spain at that time, there was a plummeting birth rate and strict adoption laws, meaning there were fewer Spanish kids who needed adopting, and the process could be long and difficult. This had many hopeful parents seeking adoptions abroad, since they were relatively quick and easy. The process wasn't cheap, but for a family who could afford the 10,000 euros or more payment, this was a great option. With plenty of financial resources, and the drive to make a quick and easy adoption, Alfonso and Rosario turned to adopting a child from China. At the time, this was highly unusual for anyone in Santiago. No one had ever done this before, and only a few Chinese children had been adopted in the wider region of Galicia. However, China seemed like a logical place due to its one-child policy. Since many families kept boys so they could continue the family name, baby girls were flooding the adoption market, waiting for families. While adopting from China at the time was unusual, 
it seems that Alfonso and Rosario started somewhat of a new norm because by 2004, Spain would rank second in the world for foreign adoptions, behind only the United States. In 2005, adoption of Chinese children peaked at 2,750, and of those children, 95% were girls due to the importance of having sons in China. After gaining approval and being matched with a Chinese child, Rosario and Alfonso were on the plane headed to China in June of 2001. Rosario, nervous on their flight, took two tablets of Orphidol, which is a common anti-anxiety medication. This wasn't super unusual, as she had used this medication for her anxiety in the past. Shortly after landing in China, the new parents met their daughter, Asinta Youngfang, who was just nine months old, underweight, and undersized. She was born September 30th, 2000, in Yangzhou, Hunan, China, and ended up in an orphanage thereafter the loss of her grandparents, who had been her only guardians. Alfonso and Rosario were in China for about two weeks, getting to know their new daughter, weeding their way through red tape, and making sure all the appropriate paperwork and payments were up to date before heading back home. Once they arrived back in Spain, the parents went about changing their daughter's name to Asunta Fangyang Basteria Porto to reflect each of their given names. It seemed Asunta finally had a complete family. Everyone appeared to settle in nicely to their new life. Over the years, the family was painted as happy, normal family. Later, a psychologist's report would describe Rosario as friendly, relaxed, emotionally expressive, cooperative, adaptive. Rosario would describe herself as a passionate woman and would describe her husband as patient, easygoing, understanding, and with a sense of humor a strong character who makes his own decisions. A friend described the family as aristocratic. Over the years, the couple was praised for saving a child in need from another country. Rosario even appeared on local television to share her wisdom and experience about adopting. Later, it was revealed that Rosario didn't even want children, which makes me think, in my own personal opinion, that Rosario enjoyed the limelight and only adopted a child for the attention it would bring her. Again, that's just my opinion. As Asinta grew, it became just clear how intelligent she was. In fact, she was able to skip a year of secondary school because of how advanced she was in her studies. Her smarts and gifts worried Alfonso and Rosario at times, prompting Rosario to say at one point, after having read all about gifted children, well-handed, they are good things, but they can be a problem. At home, Asunta was full of energy and excitement and loved to play practical jokes on her parents, entertain her parents with mock political speeches, or flounced around in her ballet costume. However, Outside of her home, she was timid with strangers and didn't always feel comfortable in the presence of people she didn't know very well. While her parents had some concerns, it didn't seem to stop them too much because they continued to push her into many activities over the years of her life. Asunta was involved in ballet, violin, piano, and private language classes. Her ballet teacher, an English woman named Gail 
Brevet, shared about Asunta's intense activity schedule. She got up at 7 a.m., did Chinese from 8 to 10, came to ballet from 10.15 to 12.30, then did French until lunchtime. Then there was violin and piano. That sounds absolutely exhausting to me. Asunta participated in private classes at school in English, French, and Chinese, as well as German. Keep in mind, she already spoke Spanish and Galician. Rosario became involved in Ateneo, which is a liberal culture club that arranges talks, debates, and concerts, which added theater trips and other social events on top of Asunta's daily activities. Once she reached 12 years old in 2013, you would think she would be fed up with all these activities, lessons, and pressure her parents put on her. But friends say she enjoyed what she did in general and appeared happy. But was she really? One day after school, Rosario was going through a list of after-school activities in front of some acquaintances. When out of the blue, Asunta snapped. She said, that's one that I'm doing because you like it. Seemingly accusing her mom of only doing certain activities because her parents required it and not because she really wanted to participate. At first, you could chalk this up to maybe just a bad day. But if you look more closely at what was going on behind closed doors, you start to think that not everything was as it seems. For example, back in 2009, when Asunta was only eight years old, Rosario had spent two nights in a private psychiatric hospital because she felt like she was going to unalive herself, she was apathetic and guilty. She told doctors that her mind was high-speed whirl, and she felt in competition with her own mother, which kind of makes you wonder if some of those issues were manifesting in how she pushed Asunta to do so many things. During her hospital stay, a psychologist observed that Rosario seemed to get very irritable with Asunta, who Rosario reported as being a bother. Two days later, Rosario discharged herself from the hospital, but did end up returning for one of her regular checkups that had been previously scheduled. Seemingly recovered from the whole ordeal, life went on until 2011, when Rosario began entertaining thoughts about sending her daughter away to school in England for a year. She felt that by doing this, Asunta would continue to improve her English, ensuring she lived up to her intelligence. Rosario had done something similar as a young adult. At the age of 22, she traveled to France as an exchange student. However, she only stayed for a few months in France, later explaining, nobody knew who I was. Here in Santiago, as my father was a faculty teacher, they treated me with great consideration. Again, this leads me to think that Rosario had a kind of an obsession with being the center of attention and a need for people to know who she was. It's worth noting that while in France, she allegedly began a cycle of occasional tailspins into acute anxiety or depression, leading to a lifetime struggle with mental episodes. After coming back and graduating, she started to work at her father's law firm. But oddly, she claimed to have completed her student exchange requirements, saying she studied at the London High School of Law. Fun fact, that institution does not exist. It's unclear why she would lie about that, but it's definitely just another strange occurrence in Rosario's life. 
Knowing all of this past history with Rosario and her experience with being an exchange student, it's kind of strange for her to want to send Asunta away as well. And remember, Rosario was 22 when she went, and she still ended up having some issues and difficulties that caused her to leave early. Asunta was only 10 at this time, and they were considering sending her away when she was very much still a child. The plan never came to fruition, but it's just an interesting observation that a mom would consider this for her child. Fast forward to 2012, when dark times ascended on the family. That whole year into the summer of 2013 was riddled with stress and depressing events. During this time, Rosario's mother passed away, and then seven short months later, her father died. Losing two parents within seven months of each other appeared to take its toll because in early 2013, Rosario and Alfonso filed for divorce, much to the surprise of their friends. What Rosario had once loved about Alfonso seemed to have become her biggest annoyance. She no longer held his excessive, puritan, antisocial, apathetic, and unpredictable personality in high esteem. At one point, she told a friend that she was tired of her underachieving house husband. To soothe her frustration, she took a lover, a self-assured, energetic, and successful businessman. Her new man seemed the opposite of Alfonso and much more to Rosario's liking. Rosario attempted to keep the affair private, but one day after rummaging through Rosario's email, Alfonso discovered his wife was having an affair and soon after, the marriage crumbled. Alfonso moved away, staying with relatives in Basque County, but ultimately ended up returning three weeks later, settling down in a tiny apartment around the corner from the home he had once shared with Rosario and Asunta. His justification for getting an apartment so close to Rosario was that he wanted to see Asunta grow up happy. That's it. When the couple had decided to divorce, Rosario had sat down with Asunta to explain to her that she and Alfonso no longer loved each other, but they both loved her dearly and would always be there for her. It's reported that Asunta's reaction was simply, so who will cook? As simple as this question might have been, it is actually an important one. Alfonso was the chef of the house and the housekeeper for most of Asunta's life. He took on most of the domestic chores and responsibilities while Rosario focused heavily on her career. This would likely be the reason Rosario had referred to him as an underachieving house husband. After the divorce, Alfonso grew very resentful of the affair and what had happened in their marriage. In retaliation, he started to send multiple emails to Rosario explaining all of the household chores that would now be falling on her shoulders. Alfonso knew that Rosario's inability to organize herself would make all the new responsibilities on her plate cause her anxiety. Her inability to perform multiple household chores seemed to be common knowledge in their close friends group. As one said, I doubt she has ever even boiled an egg. The pressure soon caught up with Rosario, and in June of 2013, she had a nervous breakdown that provoked acute physical symptoms, including dizziness and the seizing up of one side of her face. While hospitalized, Alfonso rushed to her side, and a week later, after she was discharged, helped her adjust to being back at home. 
For a while, it was like returning back to their old life. Him taking care of her, Asunta, the home, and at one point, it appeared, they might just move back together. Two days after she was released from the hospital, she broke things off with her lover because Alfonso asked her to do so. During that same summer, Asunta spent time with her nanny in her home village and with her godmother at a local beach resort. They spent their days swimming in the sea, going to local fiestas. Rosario and Alfonso stayed nearby in Santiago and went back and forth from there to their own beach house, claiming they needed time and space to process the deaths of Rosario's parents. According to her godmother, Maria Isabel Velza, Asunta had a wonderful time, despite the fact she only saw her parents one week out of the six weeks that she was away. After less than a normal summer, Asunta returned to school in September 2013. Her studies and a long list of activities continued, and it seemed like after a really difficult year, the family made it through, and that life was finally getting back on course. But little did anyone know, everything was about to veer off course in a very unexpected way. A couple of weeks after school started on September 21st, 2013, Rosario and Alfonso reported a symptom missing at 10.17 p.m. and an investigation was opened. In the beginning, Rosario told investigators that she had left her home at 7 p.m. heading to their country house in Teo, which was located about 20 minutes away. And after returning a few hours later, Asunta was gone. She said she had called Alfonso and many of Asunta's friends to see if anyone had seen her. Having the last known location and a timeline, investigators immediately went to review traffic and business cameras near Asunta's home, hoping to gain information on if she had been picked up or ventured out on her own, etc. The cameras contained a ton of information. It appeared that Asunta left home around 1.55 p.m. and was caught on camera at 2 p.m. with her father at the bank. Later, she was seen eating with her father, which would refute Rosario's claim that Asunta was home alone. About three hours later, at 4.49 p.m., Alfonso's mobile registers a call from his apartment, and at 5.21 p.m., The same camera that caught her at the bank now records Asunta again, this time walking to her mother's apartment. Around 6.12 p.m., Rosario enters the garage of the home, and a few minutes later, Asunta, seen by acquaintances with her father, near her mother's apartment. Now here's where things get even more interesting. Remember, Rosario had reported that Asunta was gone when she got home, but 10 minutes After Rosario entered the garage, she's seen in the car with Asunta, which contradicts her original story. Once she's confronted with the camera footage by police, Rosario then rushes to change her story, this time saying that actually Asunta had briefly gone with her to the country house, but that Asunta wanted to do homework so Rosario had taken her back home. She then claimed she went to a sporting goods store to buy an item for Asunta's ballet class, but decided to not go in after realizing she had left her purse at the country home. She said she then returned to the country house to retrieve her purse, 
then went to a gas station to fill up her car with gas, but ended up not doing so because she didn't have her discount card. This was quite the explanation filled with a series of unfortunate events that just didn't seem super plausible. While continuously tracking Asinta's steps through cameras, they saw that the house alarm at the country home was disconnected at 6.35 p.m. and that Rosario's phone connected to the internet around 7.30 p.m. What's weird is that both Alfonso and Rosario's phones had been shut off for about an hour and untraceable before it connected to the internet again at 7.30 p.m. Seems odd, two parents would both have their phones off and completely untraceable during the hours their daughter was unaccounted for. Hours passed, and while investigators were trying to figure out where Asunta was, Alfredo, Belsa, and a friend left a bar in the village of Freos and drove down a broad track. A few miles into the drive, Alfredo saw something strange in his headlights. He initially thought it was a scarecrow, but decided to pull over for a closer look. As he made his way towards the strange sight, it quickly became apparent it wasn't a scarecrow at all. It was actually a human body. Near the side of the road, laid a barefoot girl on a bed of fallen pine needles. She was dressed in mud-stained gray sweatpants and had one arm half inside a matching top and a white t-shirt pulled above her stomach. The other arm was curled up to her shoulder and a large wet stain ran around her crotch while a small amount of blood mucus was under her nose. The men instantly felt for a pulse, but there was none. Asunta Young Fang Basteria Porto's body was found at 1 a.m., 10 days short of her 13th birthday, confirming investigators' worst fears. With a body now recovered, police were able to pinpoint that Asunta's time of death was between 7 and 8 p.m., the same time her parents' phones were turned off. While Rosario's phone had come back on around 7.40, Alfonso's didn't register as being back online until closer to 9 p.m. About five minutes after Alfonso's phone was turned back on, the house alarm to the country house is reconnected, and Rosario is seen by neighbors leaving the house alone, Asunta nowhere to be seen. About that same time, Alfonso is seen in front of the bank again, and five minutes later, Asunta's cell phone makes a connection near the location of her father. That's weird. It would be one and a half more hours before Rosario and Alfonso report Asunta missing. In a shocking twist, two days after the discovery of Asunta's body, Rosario was arrested and charged with homicide. One day later, Alfonso was also arrested. So what happened here? And why were Asunta's parents accused of killing the daughter they had promised to love, protect, and cherish, always? During the investigation, several things were revealed. Prior to her death, on the morning of July 5th, 2013, Asunta sent a WhatsApp message to a close friend typing, I'm very nervous. They tried to kill me. She went on to say that her parents kept giving her white powder. And this wasn't the first time 
She had said something about the white powder. Reportedly, she had told her music teacher something similar about her parents giving her white powder. The same day, the WhatsApp message was sent. Alfonso purchased 50 doses of Orphidol. Remember what that was? It was the same medication Rosaria was taking on the plane to meet her daughter years and years ago and continued to take periodically to help her with her anxiety. Once Asunta was back in school, teachers reported that they often saw her half asleep in classes, saying it did seem like she had been drugged. After the autopsy was completed, it was confirmed that she had been consistently drugged with Orphidol over a long period of time and that she had absorbed large quantities of it on the night that she was killed. In response to this, Rosario claimed that Asunta took very strong medication for asthma and other allergies, but her pediatrician told investigators that she didn't suffer from any of those conditions. Nice try. Shortly after Asunta's body had been discovered, Rosario accompanied investigators to the country home. With Rosario present, this allowed them to skip having to get a warrant for a search since she had given them permission. However, there was one stipulation. She was told not to touch anything since the house might be a possible crime scene. However, unable to follow directions, Rosario told police that she needed to use the bathroom shortly after arriving at the house. Investigators, being well-seasoned in the antics of criminals, waited a few seconds before following her footsteps upstairs, where they found her attempting to retrieve contents of a trash can in the bedroom. The item she was attempting to retrieve was the same type of orange rope that Asunta's limbs had been tied with when her body was found. Between that incident, the camera footage, and the evidence from the autopsy, investigators had enough to arrest Rosario. As they continued their investigation, they concluded that at barely 4 feet 8 inches tall, Rosario would have had trouble lifting Asunta's corpse and laying it nearby the roadside without leaving drag marks, which is why they ultimately arrested Alfonso as well. After their arrest, Alfonso was put in a cell next to Rosario, which was only separated by a flimsy partition allowing them to speak while they were secretly being recorded on video. Hours of video were recorded, but they didn't lead to much. No omission of guilt or any other evidence that could be used against them was gathered. The video did catch Rosario saying multiple times, look what trouble your overheated imagination has got us into, almost implying that she thought the entire crime was his idea. The recordings revealed something else rather unexpected. When they were alone, Alfonso was no longer as submissive as he had always appeared to be. He would command Rosario to stop talking often yelling silence when he thought she was talking too much. Investigators deemed this as a surprise, stating, it seems they took it in turns to be dominant. They're two of the most selfish people I've ever met. She's a spoiled brat, and he thinks he's superior to the rest of the world. On October 1st, 2015, two years after the arrest, the trial finally began in Santiago. 
For two years, Rosario and Alfonso had been taunted and insulted by fellow prisoners for being CAs, causing Rosario to spend much of her time weeping and in pharmaceutical days. When Alfonso entered the courtroom, he was almost fully bald, displaying a white beard and had absolute hatred in his eyes for investigators. In court, he was openly confrontational, maintained an annoyed and occasionally sneering attitude during questioning, and mouthing silent cuss words. Rosario, on the other hand, was confused and tearful, determined to persuade the jury that her memory lapse were part of a wider nervous troubles. A jury of nine men and women listened to the evidence and witnessed Rosario and Alfonso's behavior day after day in court, both maintaining their innocence to the very end. Prosecutors painted a picture of two parents devising a cold-blooded conspiracy to kill their daughter, brushing Rosario as a mastermind and Alfonso as her willing accomplice. During the trial, it was revealed that on the day she died, Asunta had been given 27 grown-up pills to swallow, nine times as powerful as a strong adult dose. Neither parent had any explanation for this, only claiming they had given her pills to treat hay fever on the day she appeared dizzy. The jury, probably tired of having their intelligence insulted, knew that it didn't take 27 pills to treat hay fever, That mixed with all of the other damning evidence led the jury to eventually produce a verdict that was even harsher than the prosecutor wanted. Both Rosario and Alfonso were given 18-year sentences. They would have likely received life sentences, but the crime was committed before a new law introduced life sentences for child murderers. Rosario and Alfonso immediately started serving their prison sentence after their verdict. During their time in prison, both have appealed to have their convictions thrown out, but have been very unsuccessful. In 2017, 1.5 years after the trial, Rosario was briefly hospitalized after overdosing on prescription drugs. She had been placed in an unaliving protocol program at all three prisons where she served time, so she was definitely a high-risk inmate. Additionally, almost two years later, on November 21st, 2018, she wrapped a cord around her neck inside the prison cell shower, but alerted her cellmate about her plans, which sent prison staff running to stop her. On December 18th, 2020, Rosario was found hanging in her cell, her third unaliving attempt, which was successful. Alfonso continues to serve his sentence in prison maintaining his innocence to this day. The case of Asunta Young Fang Visteria Porto, a young girl with dreams cut short, has left an unforgettable mark on the hearts and minds of those who are looking for justice. Whenever a child is lost, we all lose something. We lose their ideas, their plans, their visions. We lose the blessings they would have bestowed upon the world and the goodness they would have used to change the outcome of someone's life. When Asunta took her last breath, we were all deprived of her unique magic, the magic she was given to saturate each of us with. Her loss is more than just a loss of life. It's a loss of all of the possibilities that she could have been, that the people in her life could have been, 
That is what makes it so tragic. The investigation into Asunta's death was named Operation Water Lily by detectives who noted that in the moonlight, the girl's body in her white shirt appeared to be floating above the ground like a flower. Like the white lily, Asunta's purity and magic, peace and beauty, and just as the lily emerged from the water, we know that Asunta's bright light rose from her final resting place and was forever set free. Please let me know what you think of this case in the comments. Please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. You can stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at this is Stephanie Moran. Until next time, stay safe out there.